song. Turn your Bible to Habakkuk. Habakkuk chapter 3, please. Habakkuk, one of the great chapters and books of the Bible. Tucked away in the Old Testament, sometimes it's hard to find. Habakkuk. <laughs> Somebody said, some little boy once, we were studying the books of the Bible, and he said, he came to that book, and he said, Tabaka. Well, this book is a far away from tobacco, but it sounds like it, Habakkuk. Habakkuk, chapter 3. Habakkuk, chapter 3. May we bow together in prayer, please. Our Father in heaven, we approach thy throne this morning in deep humility bringing before thee all of the burdens of the hearts of our people. We thank thee that thou art the answer, the supplier of every need. We pray for sustaining strength in the lives of those whose hearts hurt and are filled with tears and sorrow. And then, Father, take the word of God, make it alive and sharp and quick and powerful to all of us. May we sense the presence of Jesus here today. Lord, send revival. Kindle a new fire of devotion and love in our lives today. May the Holy Spirit do his work of conviction. In Jesus' name, amen. A prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet, upon Shigianoth. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Teman, the Holy One from Mount Paran, Selah. His glory covered the heavens, and the earth was full of his praise. And his brightness was like the light he had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Before him went the pestilence, and burning coals went forth at his feet. He stood and measured the earth. He beheld and drove asunder the nations, and the everlasting mountains were scattered. The perpetual hills did bow. His ways are everlasting. In those six verses, we learn a lot about God. Somebody said, where'd God come from? And I was having a jail service one day, and a man said, I can tell you, I can prove to you from the Bible that I know where God came from. I said, well, you tell me. And I was a young preacher, and I guess I didn't know Habakkuk very well. He said, well, God came from Tamar. And I said, where'd you get that? And he said, well, it's in the Bible somewhere. Now, Tamar was a, a woman in the Old Testament. And I said, well, I'll just study that. And she, he said, I know that's in the Bible. I know it. So I began to do some studying and concordance work, and I studied and studied. And the closest thing I could ever get to it was this verse, Habakkuk chapter 3, verse Three. So the next Sunday I went back with my Bible and I said, is this the verse you meant? 
He said, yeah, that's it. God came from Tamar. No, I said that says God came from Teman and the Holy One from Mount Paran. He said, well, at least I told you where God came from. I had a little boy the other day say, uh, in a revival meeting, we're in a revival meeting at Riverside, having a great time, God is blessing. After the service one night, a little boy came up. He said, I, I want to talk to you a minute. We sat down and talked. He said, some of my friends have been asking me where God came from, and I don't understand how to tell them where God came from. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands this morning about how many people have wondered where God came from. And I had the thrill and joy of just saying to that little fellow, well, look, you had a birthday, right? He said, yes. I asked him. He knew the date of his birthday. I said, do you know one day you're going to have a death day? And when you're gone, they'll put on your life certificate your name, your birthday, and your death day. That's it. That's all the time you had right here. But I said it was never like that with God. God is from everlasting to everlasting. There was never a time when God wasn't, and there will never be a time when God will not be. And I showed him that passage in Exodus 3 where Moses had the same question. He said, now, God, you told me to go down to Pharaoh and say, let my people go. And when I get down there, he's going to say, who's God? Where'd he come from? What shall I say? And God said, Moses, you go down there and say, the great I am hath sent you. My name is I am what I am, meaning that God is in the eternal present tense. There never was a time when you could say God was or God used to be or God will be. The way to describe God, I am. He is the great I am. And this passage does not purport to tell us that God came from a geographical place named Teman or the Holy One from Mount Paran. That Selah, simply means Kekosa. Well, think of this. What a thing. Imagine that. Watch out. Be careful. And it was speaking in highly poetic words about the eternity of God. Now, all the rest of those verses that I read speaks of God in all of His power. His glory covered the heavens. The earth was full of His praise. His brightness was like the light. He had horns coming out of his hand, and there was the hiding of his power. Where? In the power of his hand. The Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, the Bible says. Neither is his ear heavy that he cannot hear. But your iniquities have separated between you and your God so that God cannot hear you when you pray. And so, in highly poetic words, the Bible describes God in all of His greatness, in all of His beauty, in all of His majesty, in all of His power, God. And ladies and gentlemen, God is not simply the man upstairs. I've talked to somebody this week about the Lord. 
about his need of Jesus. Well, he said, the man upstairs and I are on pretty good terms. I knew immediately he didn't know anything about God. God is not the man upstairs. God is the Holy One of the universe. God is the Eternal One. And we can never get on buddy-buddy terms with God. Now this house of God that we meet in today is only holy because it's been set apart for the worship of our Lord. And because of that, when you come into the house of God, I don't, I don't want you to go to sleep, young lady. You just sit up there and listen. If you want to come to church, you sit and listen. All right. When you come to God's house, you don't play with little things. You listen to God. God speaks to you. And if you don't like it, you can go home. God wants us to honor Him and to love Him and serve Him and give Him all we are and all we have. The Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep quiet. But do you know what the temple of God is? The temple of God is not some building made with steel or structured with stones and marble. But the temple of God is the individual who has received God into his heart and Christ lives in that temple, the body of the believer. You are the temple of God. And God is in the holy temple of God and God wants us to keep him reverent, to reverence him and to keep him holy within us. Now, now this passage, the, the prophet Habakkuk is experiencing a terrible thing, almost an unimaginable thing. Now Habakkuk loves the Lord. He also loves his nation. He loves Israel. He loves the Jews. But God has said, Habakkuk, I'm going to bring as a hand of judgment upon Israel the great hordes of a pagan nation. And they're going to come in and overrun this nation and take you captive. And Habakkuk didn't want that. In chapter 2, he said, I'm going to stand up on my watchtower and see what the Lord will do. In chapter 1, God said, Habakkuk, I'm going to do a thing which if I told you about it, you wouldn't understand, so I'm not even bothered to tell you. But I'm going to do a work in your day that you'll not understand, but it'll be a work to bring judgment. And finally, in chapter 3, when Habakkuk fully realizes that God is going to bring judgment, that you, that you cannot get by with sin, that the nation cannot any longer get by with its spiritual adultery toward God, with its unfaithfulness toward God, with all of its debauchery and sin and ignoring the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel. When Habakkuk finally realizes that, and one of the most beautiful prayers in all the Bible comes from his heart in chapter 3, verses 1 and 2. Oh, a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet upon Shigianoth. Listen, oh Lord, I have heard thy speech it's almost as if God had made a speech. You hear about the president making a speech, and you hear about some great politician getting up and making some kind of a speech. Habakkuk said, Lord, I heard your speech, and it caused me to quake within. I, I'm afraid, oh God, I'm afraid. Oh God, revive thy work in the midst of the years. 
in the midst of the years make known in wrath remember mercy I want to take those last that last phrase in wrath remember mercy for the next few moments I want to talk to you about those four words in wrath remember mercy Habakkuk was acknowledging before God that God had a right to be upset with his people God had a right to have wrath he recognized that the wrath of God was upon the people of God he also recognized that God remembered and he also recognized that God was a God of mercy and so he joined all of those three great characteristics of God together in one and made them one big prayer in wrath remember mercy that was his cry and that needs to be our cry today Lord in the wrath of God against sin in our nation in our world Lord you have a right to have wrath if ever God had a right to have wrath he has that right today I cannot take the time to read all the clippings and all of the things that would remind us today as we meet here at Glendale Baptist Church on this first Sunday of August 1979 as we close the 24th year of the ministry of this church just before launching the 25th year we are in a position in times like these to know that God has a right to be angry with his people just listen to some of these things at a Los Angeles bar men stare intently at a brightly lighted stage there a young man and young woman dance briefly disrobe and engage in sexual intercourse a woman in Putney Vermont opens her mail to discover a slick brochure advertising eight millimeter color films the ad has ten explicit color photographs of naked men engaging in homosexual acts a woman entwined with two men and naked men and women caressing each other each film described in lurid language and the rest of this story is so filthy I don't want to read it it came out of Reader's Digest that's America listen to this violent crimes rise 11 percent Drunken driving by young people increases 158%. The incident of gonorrhea in the United States is the highest on record. There's an epidemic. The world in a virtual VD epidemic. Religious downswing is said to be coming. And on and on. I don't want to take the time to read all these things listen to this a judge says that dress is related to rape are school-age girls inviting rape by the way they act and the way they dress a Wisconsin judge said they are and he and and the judge refused to jail a 15 year old boy for what the judge called reacting normally to the sex stimuli all around him now, I don't agree with what happened but it just says that's part of the commentary and the, the reason that America's in the mess that we're in. Teenage pregnancy has reached epidemic proportions in America. Anarchy, 
College graduates are illiterates, the Chicago News says. And on and on. Alcoholism is widespread among teens. I was visiting in a street this week in this city, talked to some teens, talking about God, talking about the need of spiritual life. And we're talking about some of the problems that they were having. And they were just talking freely about some of the sins and some of the things that they were involved in. I said, did you know, listen to this now. Now these are teens, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. I said, did you know that the Word of God says that sex outside of marriage is a sin? Did you know that? And that God never intended that until you find the man or the woman that you're to have for all of life. They raised their eyebrows. They said, Preacher, I never heard that before. Now, they haven't been coming to church. They never heard that before. They didn't know that. Now, I don't know whether they meant that or didn't mean it. But that's a commentary on what's going on in America. God has a right to be filled with wrath. This nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men should have rights that are equal, inalienable rights of the heart. This nation, founded by God-seekers rather than gold-seekers, founded on the principles of the Word of God, now in the most important system in America, our educational system, the Bible cannot even be read. I heard about this teacher, saw a bunch of guys down on their knees. He rushed over to them and looked down to see what they were doing. They were shooting craps. He said, oh, I was just scared you were praying. Nothing wrong with that. In wrath, God has a right to be wrath, filled with wrath. Someone said if God does not bring judgment upon America, he will surely apologize to Sodom and Gomorrah. In wrath, oh God, we know you have a right to be wrathful. Not only is God filled with wrath against sin and the sin of the world, and not only do we need to be alarmed about the widespread sin and the chain reaction of drugs and dope and all of the freelance sin in our world and in our nation and in our city, but the sin that makes God sick is the sin of Christians. God's people, us, you, me, all of us, with wrong attitudes, with life filled with jealousy, with thoughts that are afar from God, mind that seldom prays, a life filled with all kinds of things that dog at our attention, and we have no time for God. In Revelation chapter 3, I know thy works, thou art neither cold nor hot. Jesus said to the Laodicean church, I would thou wert cold or hot. So then because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The sin that makes God sick it's the sin of God's people. In times like these, we need revival. In times like these, oh, be not idle. Be very sure, be very sure your anchor holds 
It grips the solid rock. We can understand God's wrath. But there's something else God is filled with wrath about. In John chapter 3, he that believeth on him hath everlasting life. But he that believeth not shall not see life, but the wrath of God, the anger of God abideth on him. Now listen, folks. We have preached the love of God until some people have the idea that God's some kind of a Santa Claus that sits over in the heavens and strokes his whiskers and so filled with syrupy sentimentalism and sweetism that he says, well, I forgive you. I just love you, and I know you can't help sinning, and you can't help doing all this stuff. You can't help shooting people. You can't help murdering people. You can't help raping people. You can't help all that. Why, bless your little old hearts. I love you anyway. And that's not what the Bible says. The Bible says God hates sin. He hates it. He loathes it. And the only way a sinner can have any kind of standing before God is not to come in his own merit, but to come pleading the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son. And listen, friend, it cost God the life of the dearest thing in all this universe. The only begotten Son of God, Christ Jesus, there's an element of mystery in this. We do not understand how God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all one and yet represented as different, as separate, and ministering to us in various, various ministries and separate ministries, and yet he's all one. And so when Jesus went to the cross, it was God going to the cross. It was God laying down his life for the sins of a world. God's only remedy for sin, the blood of Jesus Christ. And brother, when you trample over that blood, God is filled with wrath against you. He hates your sin. And did you know that it's possible for a man to become so intermingled and so identified with his sin that when God looks at you, he sees your sin and he's filled with wrath against your sin. The only way there can be revival, the only way there can be repentance, the only way there can be people saved is for a man to realize he's lost, for a nation to realize it needs, his, needs revival, for a church to realize it has a need. It needs something it doesn't have. And as long as we're lethargetic and filled with just complacency, God's not going to be able to do much around here. But when we say, God, I have a need, it's an awful need. There's sin in the camp. There's sin in my life. There's sin in my home. There's sin in my children. There's sin in my wife. There's sin in the husband. Oh, God, I bring this to you. And we realize that God has a right to have wrath against it. Then, dear friend, we're a candidate for revival. That's when revival can come, when we realize there's wrath of God against sin. But the second word in Habakkuk's prayer was remember. In wrath, remember. Now, he wasn't saying, God, please remember all the sins of my life, though God does that. He was saying, Lord, remember. It's not the preacher, not the deacon, but it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Lord, it's me. Remember. In Psalm 103, the scripture says, He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. But as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. For 
As the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. For as far as the east is from the west, so far hath God removed our transgressions from us. And like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Lord, remember that. Lord, remember that. Remember that I am dust. Remember that I am nothing. Remember that I don't know how to help myself. Remember, Lord, that our whole nation is filled with putrefying sores. And God, there seems to be no desire to turn back. Oh, God, remember the awful mess we're in. I heard about a man who was a tail gunner during the World War II. And they were flying on a mission. And they had just left their mission, dropped bombs. And as they started away, there was a, a, a dirge of planes that came after them. And they began to shoot. And the chaplain came on the air and said, uh, don't anybody be afraid. God is here. And the tail gunner back there said, well, God may be with you, but he's not back here just about that time. Of big ammunition came running through the tail. He just barely missed the head of that tail gunner. And he got on the intercom and said, correction, please. God just moved in. God just came. God, remember that without you, there's no hope. Without you, there's nothing. We as a church would cry out, Lord, without you, we can do nothing. As an individual, Lord, without you, we are nothing. The last word is mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. And I think of that beautiful illustration the Lord gave us about two men who went up to the temple to pray. One stood over here and prayed thus with himself, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like other men. I fast twice in the week and I give tithes of all I possess. And Lord, I'm just so good. I'm just gooey gooey. I'm so good. Lord, thank you that I'm not like that old publican over there. And Jesus said that old man over there stood. He wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven, but he smote on his breast and he cried out, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus said that man went down to his house justified. Why? He was appealing for the mercy of God. And that little word mercy in the original language in that passage is the same as the word for, para, for propitiation or meeting place. Be to me a propitiatory offering. Be to me a meeting place. Oh God, I need a meeting place between my wicked, sin-filled soul and God. That meeting place is Jesus. Jesus. The only way a sinner can come to God is through Jesus. 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 Say his name, would you? Jesus. There's something about the name. Jesus, the name that charms my fears, that bids my sorrows cease. Tis music in the sinner's ears. Tis life and health and peace. Jesus. And he'll meet your needs. He'll fix whatever's wrong with you. He'll come into your life. Dr. Tapley, Brother Tapley calls Jesus, Dr. Jesus. I like that. When Dr. Jesus comes into your life, he fixes whatever's wrong. He touches you with eternity. And he brings revival. As a matter of fact, Jesus himself is revival. That's the reason. Have you ever seen somebody that just seemed to always be in a state of revival? Always, every time you look at them, there's just joy in their heart. They're constantly going out to reach the lost and they're just filled with joy all the time. What's the, what's the reason for that? Jesus. Jesus. 
as the fellows were on their way to Mexico the other day. They got down the road and they were talking about this and that and the other and all kinds of things and, and just things that the world would talk about. You know, not, not vulgar things, but just like everybody else would talk. Just like civilized folks would talk. Their girlfriend, how they broke up with this and that and the other. And they stopped. And they just stopped and said, now look, if God is going to use us, we've got to get our minds on something else. We've got to get our minds on Jesus. And they put their minds on Jesus. And they kept their minds on Jesus and 150 people got saved. That's revival. See, that's revival. That's what happens when God's people called by his name say, I'm going to be different from the world. I'm not going to be like the rest of the world. I'm not going to court its customs nor follow its fashions, but I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus. And when you do that, Jesus, Jesus sends revival to your heart because he is revival. Jesus himself. Revival is not some mystical magic thing out there that you reach out and grab. Revival. When you're filled with Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. When you're filled with Jesus, He's the one that calms fears and stops problems and meets the burden. Jesus, Jesus. Have you ever received him into your heart? If you haven't, you can today. How? Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. He'll save you right now. If you've already been saved, are you serving him? Have you taken an open stand for him? Have you walked before a church? and said, I'm one of you now. You know when you get saved. The other day I, I saw somebody trust Jesus as Savior, and I said to them, you know, we could get a microphone and go out all over town and say, everybody, hey, listen, I just got saved. We could do that, but that isn't what God wants you to do. God wants you to first go down to the church where the Christians are and go in front of that church and say to them, I'm one of you now. I'm one of you. I'm going to take the reproaches that you have I'm going to identify with God's people. I'm going to be one of the church. And then together we'll go out in Jesus' name as an army marching towards Zion. Have you done that? Since you've been saved, have you walked down the aisle? Have you followed the Lord in baptism? Have you taken a stand with the Lord's church? Church, do we really want revival? Then let's just seek Jesus with all of our hearts. And he's the answer. To every problem. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Please. Our Father, thank you for the patience of the people today. We thank you that in wrath, God remembers and there's mercy. That's our prayer today, Lord. For those who are here without Jesus, and they see the nail-pierced hands of our Lord and the blood that came from his side, and may they be willing by faith, not understanding to totally all about it, but by faith, just come under the blood of Christ today. God help them to do it. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand, please? We're going to sing God's invitation.
I'd like to request, please, that no one leave during the singing of this invitation. This is the Lord's invitation. If you are here today and you have never been saved, I want to urge you to come today for Christ. Just step out from your bondage, sorrow, and night into Christ's glorious freedom and light. Will you do it? There are two groups that need to do that. Number one, if you have been saved, Jesus is in your heart. You need to come and identify with a local church. Follow your Lord in baptism and start serving God here. That's the first thing God wants a new Christian to do. Do it today. Some of you may have been saved in your home or out in the park or somewhere else, maybe in a car somewhere. You need to come just take an open stand with Jesus. Will you come? There are others who have never been saved. Standing right here today, you know that if you died, you'd go to hell. You need to come and say, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. There are still others. Membership in another church or life out of kelter with God's will. Why don't you come today and say, I want to put my life in the hand of God. While we begin to sing, who will step out first for the King, Christ Jesus? Will you come right now? God help you to do it.